Thank you, Al. I hope you brought your books because we're just on the home stretch of what we're going to be covering. In this book, Protecting Your Home from Spiritual Darkness, this is actually Protecting Your Home from Spiritual Darkness, Part 8. <laughs> Say Part 8. Now, I'm, all, I, I'm actually, I'm pretty, I'm tickled by the Lord, and yet uh, blessed that this is two months that he's had us in this. Two months. And I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit put his finger on it, that there's an importance for it, for this house to be clean. Amen? So in chapter 6, I'm going to jump, um, chapter 5, we, we were in chapter 4 last week. All right? Chapter 5 is a demonic foothold in the land. And in this chapter, he covers different things where even uh, the property that you own and the property you may have investments or different things like that, that property, land can actually come under a curse or a blessing. Land can, literal land, physical land can be cursed or blessed. It really can. And he gives instances in that. I'm not going to teach on that today. Read that on your own. But I want you to go to chapter 6, overthrowing generational curses. You ready? Everybody? I can't hear you. Everybody, are you ready? Yeah. Amen. There you go. With the day's business behind me, I decided to take a walk and explore New Orleans. Now, he also touched on this in one of the previous chapters. But Chuck... Chuck was born again. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and growing. Say growing. When Carol and I started out in the ministry, I mean, as soon as we got born again, we were in. No matter what needed to be done in that church, Pastor, what can we, you know, it was just, Jimmy, we just want, that we were like, we are joyfully uh, provoked or guided, you know, inspired. That's a good word joyfully inspired to serve God in any way, shape, or form. Driving 45 minutes from Hapro to Germantown where the meetings were. Hallelujah. 45 minutes. That wasn't nothing but a thing because I knew what was there. You know, Jimmy Evans said something last night in our marriage on the rock meetings, and he said, when you realize God's anointing for your life, and, and, and it's like you wake up, and he said this, the anointing, it was really neat the way he said it, the anointing has, uh, for you, has you on it. It's a custom fit. The anointing of God for everybody in here, and everybody is anointed. But God has an anointing that also comes upon us, and it's custom fit. Hallelujah. I liked it. I thought, man, that's really good. Where was I? But in my chattering. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. Yes, thank you. We were both anxious to serve. And there was an anointing there. We started in ministry in 1978. Didn't get the title till 1980. 
but we weren't looking for a title. We were just obeying the promptings and guidance of the Holy Ghost. And there was such joy in it. There really was, there is, was, is, and always will be such joy in serving the Lord. Amen? I, I don't need a pulpit. I don't need a title. I just need direction. Hallelujah. I just want his inspiration in my life. I'll be a servant every, you know, Kenneth Hagin Sr., who was mightily used of God, mightily, 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 almost two or three years before he went home to be with Jesus, he made this statement, and it gripped my heart when he said it. He said, if it were up to me, I would that God would allow me to be an intercessor the rest of my time on earth. To be in the prayer closet and praying and decreeing the things that God needs prayed and decreed. Hallelujah. For a mighty move of his spirit on the earth. He was content with that. Now, he had had miracles, encounters with Jesus. I mean, my man had amazing, an amazing history of spiritual experiences. Amen. Well, let's go on here a minute. It'll come back. As I ventured out of my hotel, I took in the sights of a place where the excitement never seemed to end. Of course, it's New Orleans. Crowds of visitors, tourists, and locals lined both sides of Bourbon Street as they streamed in and out of shops, bars, restaurants, and establishments that offered live sex shows. Small groups gathered around jazz bands, many dancing to the music. I heard an occasional roar of laughter along with, with my pen, an argument in what sounded like French. As I walked along talking or taking in all the activity, I found myself stopping in front of one particular shop. In the window was a beautiful ceramic cat with riveting blue eyes. The noise of the street seemed to fade as my concentration turned to the cat. I seemed drawn to it. Anybody ever had that? You saw something? How much is that doggy in the window? Yeah. <laughs> the one with the waggly tail. <laughs> well, he's riveted to this thing. I seemed drawn to it. I decided to take a closer look. Now, look at this. Say, born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. There is Romans 8.14 reveals this to you and I. Those who are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Any sons in here, male, male or female, you know, sons is generic, includes all. It's not transgender. <laughs> Amen. So if you're born again, the Holy Spirit of God is in you to guide you into all truth. John Bevere did a teaching one time, and he, he mentioned this, that when, do, how many, and I'll go, uh, just ask the question, how many in here, when you first got born again, it was like, you're on fire. I mean, you know, you knew you went from light to darkness. You were ex so excited to be saved and, and to go to church and to, you know, you, you couldn't get enough of God. You couldn't get enough of his people. You couldn't get enough of praise. You couldn't get enough of worship. Amen? <clears throat> oh, boy. 
I forget why I was going there. <laughs> huh? John Bevere, thank you. John Bevere said this, and he was referring to himself. He said, when I got saved and born again, my ear, my spiritual ear was very keen to the voice of the Holy Ghost. Say, say very keen. Do you remember that? Do you remember? Now, maybe we didn't distinguish it as the voice of the Lord, but just those promptings to want to pray, promptings to want to get in the Word, those promptings. It's the Holy Spirit's involvement in our life. Amen? But he said this. The first time I disobeyed that prompting, it was like my spiritual ears started to get wax in them. The second time I didn't obey the prompting of the Holy Ghost, I started to get a little deafer to his voice. How sensitive are we to his promptings? This isn't condescending thing, but I just... It's like a wake-up. God's waking us up. God is waking our this body up. But here's the other thing. I said to Carol last night. Actually, I said it to my bride this morning. In John 1, 12, the Bible says that Jesus, the Messiah, the creator of all mankind, Emmanuel, God with us, the word made flesh who dwelt among his people. Say, what? Praise God. Good men. Say his people. John 1, 12 says he came to his own. And they did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the power, the authority to become children of God. You can't force people to obey. Amen? Obeying God is a choice. It's frustrating at times. I mean, come on. I remember our kids, different times when they seemed to get stubborn and just, you know, whatever. They wanted to do it their way. You know, it's like that old saying, little boy, sit down, sit down, and you help him sit. And the kid looks up and says, I might be sitting on the outside, but I'm a standing on the end. <laughs> Amen. You know, that's a rebellious spirit. Amen. That's darkness starting to manifest in, a, in the will of a person. Amen. It just shows there's a fallen nature that needs to get renewed. <laughs> Amen. I never had to teach one of my kids, listen, I want you to say no. It just popped out somewhere along life's journey. No, especially this guy. No. Hmm. <laughs> Pulled this baby off and said, well, let's straighten this out. The Bible says, be the, the Bible says, be the child and save his soul from hell. <laughs> I'm saved, brother. <laughs> Not abuse. Amen. <laughs> so John Bevere. <laughs> John Bevere. Here's the good news. How about that 
part of the inspiration of the flow of the Spirit. But David was, the, was, is, and always will be the apple of God's eye, as Israel is. Amen? But you and I can be the apple of his eye. And probably are. He loves his people. Amen? When we're on target, he loves us. When we're off target, his love never fails. He's a loving father. Amen? But 2019, 20, expectancy. 19, divine order and judgment. 2019, 20 centuries, 19 years. That's the way the Lord was quickening it with me. And I present that. I submit that to you. You can either take it or it just can be something. Oh, yeah, that's pastor's cliche. You know. Or you can say, Lord, I take that. I receive that into my life. I embrace that, that this year there's going to be a divine order coming into my life that has never been there like it, like it, it will be, like it is and will be. Amen? You take it and you decree it. You receive it by grace and through faith. So if God's inspiring that to present that to you, it's food. It's spiritual food. But divine order and judgment isn't, isn't this thing where God's going to bring the hammer down or take you behind the woodshed and bring out the switch and give you a good spanking. The divine order is something that he presents light to you. He's presenting things that need to, changes that we need to make in our life to be, to be a greater blessing. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle, and that's not optional. He's not, amen? That's a revelation from the heart and mind of God, it will come to pass. What did we just get done with the tithe? And we shout for joy, for the Lord watches over his word to perform it. Then we can get out these other scriptures from the promise box that we love to have in breakfast. Amen? The Lord chastens those whom he loves as a father does his child. Say, chasten. I can't wait to be chastened. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. It becomes something. There, there's a level of maturity when you and I run back to the woodshed and say, come on, Papa, whatever I need, give it to me. <laughs> he chastens those who he loves. This year, there's going to be a divine order and judgment. And it starts with everybody in here. For me and my house, as far as the spiritual house, it has to start with me and Carol and the leadership here. There's a divine order coming, and there's, amen, a divine order in judgment. God, let me say it this way. God is a judge. He is the judge of all. We love him as Lord, and we, we love him as Savior, and we love him as Lord, but he is the, the Lord God Almighty, who his name is Jealous. He is jealous of you and I. I kind of like that. I love the Lord being jealous of me. Amen. He's jealous. He don't want nothing. He don't want me flirting with anybody, anything, anybody or anything else of, that would take his place in my life. As Mary was betrothed to Joseph, for a year, and that was the culture, for a year they were married, but they couldn't live under the same roof and be sexually involved. 
But when they were deemed married and they tied the things around their hands, they were betrothed. And they were to keep themselves pure. Come on. Say pure. You and I have to get purer. Now, we have the seed of purity in us. We have the seed of holiness in us. He didn't say you have to work to be holy. You don't have to dress to be holy. Anybody with a conscience and anybody who loves the Lord Jesus Christ would automatically, by default, be convicted if they're dressing immodestly. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. I don't have to be to hear from somebody that I got to cover my parts. There's an absolute knowing on the inside because I'm born of a DNA. We are born of a DNA that says, be holy as I am holy. He didn't say work at it, give it a shot. No, it's in the seed that you're born of. Holiness is part of who he is. Glory to God. He's holy. Amen. Now, he didn't say, no, and the, well, he did say, separate yourself. Separate yourself from the world. Separate yourself, says the Lord. Come apart from the world and be separate unto me, is what God said. Anybody know the verse? You know it's in Scripture, right? Everyone? So there's the separating of ourselves from the world system and connecting into the kingdom system. Hallelujah. Listen. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, it, it does matter. But regardless, if people in here get disgruntled and they don't like the preaching and the teaching that's coming forth here, you are free to leave. Hallelujah. Hey, I, mean, I don't mean hallelujah if you leave, but hallelujah, God is good. You have a free will. You have a free choice. I wouldn't want to stay in a congregation where I'm not being fed or challenged. I don't need to be pampered. I don't need somebody to make me feel good, bless God. Because if I'm in him and fellowshipping with him, I'm going to feel good automatically from being in his presence. Hallelujah. I'm accepted by God. And I'm accepted in the beloved. God don't need your money. He don't need, he don't need anything you have. But what does he want? He wants your heart. And he wants your soul. Is it his? Man, I'll tell you what. I don't know what's happening in this place. Is my heart his and my soul his? No, but yeah, thank you. I receive that. I'm talking about me. I'm asking myself that question. Is my heart yours and my soul yours? Are you Lord, really, of my life? Are you Lord in word only? What did he say, Jesus say, to those religious people? Maybe you're still in here and a little religious in your Christian faith. Maybe you have your own of religious tradition or the way things should be in church. Jesus said, the word of God is made of no effect, no effect because of the traditions you have. Well, hallelujah. He said it to his people. Don't let your traditions or potential traditions 
or traditions of how you think church should be. Don't come in here to this congregation and try to change the furniture. You don't have that authority. You don't have that right. I don't have the right. No, I've done this. I've gone into people's homes. Carol and I visited, and the Lord, the people wanted us to change and to change the way the church was going and to change, you know, things to adjust to the way they liked it. And I went into their home, and we sat with them. We were fellowshipping. Then I got up, and I started moving their furniture around. I don't know about you. Somebody came in my house and started moving my furniture around. I'm like, really? Do you have a death wish? I mean, come on. Are you crazy? Does your elevator go to the penthouse? What are you doing? And, of course, it didn't take long when I got to the second or third piece of furniture in their place, and I started moving it around, putting it where I wanted it. They said, what are you doing? I said, I like this set up better. And they said, this ain't your house. Very good. You're right. And I put it back. I said, is, that, is everything back right? And they said, yeah. I said, don't come out the good news and try to make good news look like you want it to. Hallelujah. God's a king. It's not a democracy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody smile at me this morning. We're going to get in this. I don't know why. Well, yeah, I do know why. The noise of the street seemed to fade as my concentration turned back on page 61. As my concentration turned to this cat, I seemed drawn to it. I decided to take a closer look. Now, as we look at this, you're wondering, how can a man that's used in a, as in a prophet's office do this? The shop was filled with oddities, many of which were used in voodoo rituals. I thought little of it as I picked up the ceramic cat and gave it a closer inspection. Even though it was quite expensive, I had to have it. I had to have it. This beautiful cat would look great by the fireplace. Born again, filled with the Spirit, but young in ministry. That was my point of talking about Carol and I. When we started out in ministry, listen, we know a lot of people that have gone through the seminaries. Some people call them cemeteries, but the seminaries. And they came out and had no clue of what the reality of pastoring was. They had knowledge of it. They had book knowledge. They had never lived it. And they go into a congregation or a church Green, say green. So Chuck is green in some of this experience, but yet he is filled. He's, he's called to the ministry, but in the early years of his ministry, he's having some glitches. Amen? I love the honesty, quite honest. I love the honesty of it. Gen generational influences. In chapter 4, I tell the rest of the story of this ceramic cat. 
One day the Lord revealed to me that witchcraft was linked to the cat. After all, it was purchased in a shop with voodoo items. I should have known better. But at that time, I was ignorant of the principles outlined in this book. Even so, many Christians would have shied away from the shop based on the weird feel of the place alone. Amen? I did not. In fact, I felt drawn to the shop. Why? Because of generational influences in my bloodline. That's not an excuse. He's communicating the truth. Okay? Occult practices were not unusual in previous generations of my family. I had seen occult power at work. Look at this. I remember one instance in particular when my grandfather and I were working and we encountered a wasp's nest in the middle of a doorway we were trying to get through. He looked at his palm, spoke something to it, held it up, resulting in every one of the wasps dropping dead right before our eyes. He had used occult power to kill the wasps. Say real deal. A lot of people don't want to really delve into the supernatural. They want to speak in tongues. They're content with being baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. But when you start having supernatural encounters of good and evil, it changes the playing field. You can either cower in fear or you can dress up and say, Lord, teach me. Because I want to live in this realm. I want to walk in this realm. Jesus had to. Jesus did. Say Jesus did. Jesus preached life. He brought the kingdom of God. But I want to tell you something. Everywhere Jesus went, like Paul, he had either revival or riot. How is it that the actions of my grandfather and others in my ancestry had anything to do with my entering a questionable shop years later? Good question. Because I had inherited in the natural a weakness towards sins of occult and witchcraft that had been passed down through my family's bloodline. Now, we're reading through something. It was a man's experience. But I can show you, and, and he does too. He presents the word of God that substantiates the information regarding what he's experiencing. Amen? See, you and I, we read the word, and the absolute life of God is in the word. But when we hear the encounters and testimonies of others who have lived the word or, ta- or maybe did things that were wrong and harmful to their, in their situation, but God corrected it, we learn from their mistakes. Amen? Mistakes aren't called to deem you and I a favor. Mistakes happen when we miss the mark. Amen? Father, thank you for speaking by the Holy Ghost for whoever that one is in here, that faith and hope will rise up in their hearts, that they will run the race and fulfill their destiny in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? That weakness, Chuck goes on to say this, that weakness known as iniquity was operating in my life when I visited New Orleans and bought the cat. How can this be? 
Exodus 20, verse 5, offers an answer. It says, the answer. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children to thir the third and fourth generations. Sin not only affects the land, chapter 5, but it also affects bloodlines for generations. Now, you don't want to believe that. I say you're either wise or a fool. Today, you're either in the position right now to be wise or to be a fool. There's no middle ground here. I prefer to be wise. Amen? It's your choice. God says, I set before you today. And, and it's interesting to me, death and life. I set before you today. In other words, here's the playing field, death and life, death or life. You choose. God gives people the freedom of their choice. I set before you death and life. You choose. <laughs> Jesus, Lord, where are you staying? John says, the, John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God saves the, saves the world. Andrew takes off after him. Master, where are you going? He said, come and show you. Come follow me. I'll show you. He didn't say, hey, guys, come follow me. I'm the Messiah. They said, they came to him. Are we coming to Christ? Are we coming to the Lord for fellowship? Are we coming to the Lord in acknowledgement of our actions and guidance to the Holy Ghost? Guidance of the Holy Ghost in our actions and words. Are we coming to the Lord? Or did we just stop after we got saved? Well, hallelujah. I choose to come to the Lord. Anybody else? Sin not only affects the land, it also affects bloodlines. In the voice of God, Cindy Jacobs helps us understand sin and iniquity as it relates to generations. The Bible speaks of them as two different things. Sin is basically the cause, and iniquity includes the effect. Generational iniquity works like this. A parent can commit a sin such as occultic involvement or sexual sin, and that produces a curse. The curse then causes a generational iniquity or weakness to pass down in the family line. Hallelujah. Here's an example that might clarify the process. This is an example. A pregnant woman is x-rayed and the unborn child becomes deformed by the x-ray. The unborn child didn't order the x-ray and is entirely a victim, but nonetheless is affected by the x-ray. Y'all flowing with this? Are y'all flowing with it? Sin, like the x-ray, damages the generations. This is an awesome thought and should put the fear of the Lord in us before we enter into sin. Iniquitous patterns. Have you ever noticed how, for example, alcoholism, divorce, laziness, or greed tends to run in families? I've shared it with you. Here, the 
in that my father's uh, siblings and amongst my father's family, one of, he was one of six, that at least three, there were five boys and one girl, at least three of the brothers were given to drinking, uh, womanizing, and gambling. I have to say this. I, I, I believe with all my heart, to my knowledge, my father never got involved in any of that. Amen? By grace through faith. But that, that doesn't diminish the stuff generationally that we had to deal with and issues that we had to live, walk through. There was a tendency, temptation to gamble. There was not just a temptation, a cooperation with the devil to drink and get tuned and ripped up. Married at 17, there are plenty of temptations in the rock and roll area to want to womanize and mess around. Why? It was a culture. Drug, sex, rock and roll. You, if you, you, you become what you eat. Amen? That was the culture. And I'm married to Miss Goody Two-Shoes. Thank God. Amen? I said, thank God. <laughs> well, praise God. Thank God for salvation. But the generational curses, they were real. I can look at our offspring, and I, this is the beautiful thing about you getting saved. That you come into that place, and we spoke about it in the very beginning of the service. I didn't know why I didn't connect the dot with this, even though I've studied it. But you and I have the privilege, to, as a patriarch and matriarch, to change the outcome of a family tree. Now, it takes cooperation all the way along. We just don't make a declaration. We do make declarations, but we just can't dictate De declaration is one thing. Dictating is another. No, you and I have to plant seed. The Bible says there's seed time and harvest. The law of Genesis is that everything, uh, every seed brings forth fruit of its own kind. Hallelujah. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's become a mantra in my heart and in my mouth because I'm a mantra of praying and decreeing what the word says. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want to tell you this. All hell has broke loose in different ways, shape, and form over the years with each and every one of them. The devil has tried to hit our kids. He tried to hit us, and, and we had to fight. Carol and I, I'm talking about individually and collectively. Don't think for a moment ministers' marriages don't get hit. It's the rule of war. Take out the, take out the leader and the sheep are scattered. Jesus said it. Strike the shepherd and the sheep are scattered. That's why I said it before. You don't salute an officer out in the field of war. Because the snipers are going, you know, the people are going to turn on the target. Take out the leader and the orders from headquarters are not going to come down. And they'll be confused. They'll, they'll be easy, easy killing. It'll become a killing field. Amen? Amen? Thank you.
The, that weakness, known as iniquity, was operating in my life when I visited New Orleans. We're at the top of the page 62. And I bought the cat. How can this be? Exodus 25 says, I, the Lord your God, am jealous, I'm repeating, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children. Iniquity of the fathers upon the children. The iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Why does it say that and not the mothers? The iniquity of fathers to the children because men carry seed. Generations come as a result of the seed in men. Amen? And the man's responsible to make sure that his home is in divine order. Not exclusively, but he, should, uh, he is responsible as far as the word of God says. I am not better than my wife, Carol. And I love what Jimmy said. The women are not second-class citizens. They are equal. But if they choose to marry a man, they come under his, along his side, and they come under the covering of that name. She gives up her name to gain his. Amen? The two become one. It's a, it's a, it's a corporation. Hallelujah. Amen? Well, glory. Well, let's come down here again. Iniquitous patterns. Have you ever noticed how, for example, alcoholism, divorce, laziness, or greed tends to run in families? These aren't just learned behaviors. They are manifestations of iniquity that have been passed down in generations. In other words, iniquitous patterns. Of course, the, there are isolated instances of sin that seem to have nothing to do with previous generations. In that case, a new iniquitous pattern may be beginning in a family if that sin is not made right before God. If you start looking around, around you with this in mind, you may be surprised at how many iniquitous patterns of sin you can find in family lines. Now, this next part here is absolutely essential on you and I. I want to see what the time is. <clears throat> okay, he has a little bit of time left. He has familial spirits in your book on page 63. You could say familiar spirits. I'm more prone to say familiar spirits. They're very familiar. Demonic, a demonic, a demonic stream, a demonic entity that is assigned to your family tree. Spirits don't get old. Well, they get old as far as we would think of it, but they're, they're eternal species. Demonic spirits are doomed for the lake of Gehenna to burn forever in the fires of hell when judgment comes. Amen. But in the meantime, they, they just exist. They go from generation to generation. Think about it. Satan coming to Job, coming to God, and God says to Satan, Behold my servant Job. He was so pleased with Job. Behold my servant Job. <laughs> and the devil says, what's he, not, what's he not blessed about? I mean, what's he not to be happy about? You've blessed him with everything. Let me take all you've blessed him with away and see if he still loves you and worships you. Y'all here? We know the story? 
God says he's in your he's I forget the exact way it's worded, but all right. Yeah, he's out of his protection now. And the Bible says that there was a hedge of protection around him. Why would God do that? Why would God even allow that? Was there something in Job's life, even though he pleased the Lord in so, so many ways, was there something there that was a portal? Was there something in Job's life? Fear. There was fear. There was fear. Well, let's go on. I'm not going to preach on Job right now. Let's look at this. Familiar spirits or familial spirits. Through the sin and iniquitous pattern, a familiar spirit controls a certain person in a family. Sin is an opening for demonic forces to work in subsequent generations of the family through the iniquity produced. They know the family weakness, the demons do, and therefore entice, tempt, or lure family members with that weakness into the same or related sin. Spirits that are assigned to a family are called familial or familiar spirits. Some have been in families for generations on end. How tragic. Amen? Generational curses. The word curse is defined as the cause of evil, misfortune, or trouble. You may want to highlight that. Curse is defined as the cause of evil, misfortune, or trouble. A curse is God's recompense in the life of a person and his or her descendants as a result of iniquity. Well, that statement's kind of a little gruff. Is that a true picture of God, that it's God's recompense, God's pay? Well, let me just say it this way. When a man or woman choose to do to sin, by default, by default, you've opened yourself up because God given us a free will and you've given us free choice. When we are walking in him and with him, we're in his divine protection. If I choose to sin, I'm stepping out of his protection. Now the devil, I'm a free target to the enemy. You all hear? Sin has a consequence. What did the word of God tell you and I? Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That's the New Testament to the church. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And I had such a difficult time with that. I've said that here before. Because the Bible says he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. Amen? So how does this tie in? How could the writer of that tell me to work out my salvation in fear and trembling? I, it's an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp. How, how does this all tie together? He hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. So how, why is he telling me to work out my salvation in fear and trembling? I don't, did you, yeah, yeah. Did you ever read the scripture and it's like, Lord, this is confusing. So what do you do? You do a word study. You find out what fear is. 
Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Maybe it's reverential awe. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I opened up the word in the Greek, and it's the Greek word phobos. And the first thing it says in, def in definition, dread. Can't be that context. What's the, what's the next word? Horror. Look it up yourself. You can check me out. Dread. Horror. Third definition, reverential awe. I choose that one. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Guess what? You and I don't get to choose and pick. What's the definition? Well, I don't want A and B. No, no, no. I'll take C. Hallelujah. It's the reverential awe. It's not what he's talking. Where's the trembling come in? Dread, trembling. Horror, trembling. Work out your salvation, right? I can't. I see it. And I... See the definitions, Lord, but how do you, how do you reconcile God? You see, you talk to God like Carol was saying last night. We need to talk to God and be honest. Lord, what's the connection here? Amen? Because it seems like you're, I know your word. How many have ever heard that Bible can contradict itself? Every one of us have heard it. Amen? The Bible contradicts itself. No, I don't. <laughs> I can explain why you find it contradictory, but this seemed contradictory. But what do you do when you hit this kind of intersection with Scripture? And everybody in here is, in, is under that searchlight of Scripture. You work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Well, that's, pretty, that's a pretty sobering instruction. Amen. How do you find out what it means? You go before him and you pray in the Holy Ghost. You look at the, the tools. You look at the, the scripture. You look at the definitions. And you say, Lord, what is the context? Why, why would you do that, Pastor? Because Corinthians, the word says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to men but to God. Howbeit he speaks mysteries, mysterions. He pulls the things that are hidden to light so he can see. Don't tell me praying in the Holy Ghost isn't important. It is absolutely essential to work, live this life and walk in revelation knowledge. So what I do, praying and pacing. Say praying and pacing. What is it, Lord? What is it? What is it? Lord, I'm looking. What is it? And like Pastor Tim said, you know, it's great with the noise and all that stuff and God's moving and there's a lot of volume. But man, when it... We feel that weighty glory. This is what the Holy Ghost said. I said, this is what the Holy Ghost said. He said, Ray, you are to have a dread and horror of the consequence of sin. He hasn't given me a spirit of fear. He's given me a spirit of power, love, and sound mind. 
but I'm, re- I have, I, I'm responsible to hate evil. I'm instructed in the scripture to hate evil. Proverbs says, hate evil, pride, arrogance, the evil way, and the perverse mouth. I hate, saith the Lord. Well, man, it's quiet in this denominational church. It's quite sobering. Would you agree? Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Why? Why? Amen. You may be sitting here today and think this is a waste of two months. What's this have to do with me? If you have that even thought, it's written for you. It's inspired by the Holy Ghost for you because you are a fool if you're in that status that this doesn't apply to your life in some way. I love you. I would be a fool to not teach this or preach it. I'm going to stand before it. Let me just say it this way. And I don't mean I, 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 because I hate I. But I am going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day and give an account for the pastoring of this house. Not the pastoring of Grace Bible Church over here. Not the Assembly of God Church down the work or any of the other bodies here. I am accountable for the one that he has entrusted to us to love and care for. Carol and I both are, and Pastor Tim and Elena are. Amen. We're accountable. So we can't sugarcoat stuff. We love. I hope you guys know that the inspiration in our hearts for you is love. I'm grateful for this. Hallelujah. We'll get there. My God. Oh, shakaba. Say shakaba. Shigaboomba, <laughs> huh? Oh boy. Where am I? Generational curses. Okay. Bottom <laughs> bottom of sixty-three. So anyway, we saw the definition of a curse defined as the cause of evil, misfortune, or trouble. <clears throat> One of the places I first studied the word curse was Malachi, because as a young Christian you hear about the importance of giving and tithing and things like that. And, of course, Malachi 3, God says to the leaders, the whole nation is under a curse because you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. The word curse there, and I thought, man, I don't want no curse. (laughs) (laughs) Why tithe? (laughs) And there's so many scriptures and good teaching on it. But as a young Christian, Lord, why tithe? What's this curse word? You know, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse that there might be meat in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on you. First of all, I'm going to rebuke the devourer on your behalf. Then, secondly, I'm going to pour out blessing on you you can't contain. That's a good deal. Well, but what's the word curse? It means days rendered unfortunate. Say days rendered unfortunate. Does God need our money? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it's interesting to me that it's comparable to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. God said, you can eat the fruit of all the trees except that one. That tree is holy unto me, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. 
What was that tree? It was God's tithe. Don't touch God's tithe. Don't mishandle God's tithe or your days will be rendered unfortunate because of your choice. Don't blame it on God. Well, God, well, anyway, well that's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. <laughs> well, anybody want to get cursed? Mm-mm, not me. Mm-mm, no, I like Jesse. Uh-uh, Lord. Mm-mm, not me. I don't want no curse. <laughs> oh, now. <laughs> I'm going to pay my tithe so I don't get cursed. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just funny because God goes on and says in Malachi 3, he said, he said after he brings this information and the light of truth to the nation of Israel, he says, now you bring your tithe in, but you complain. <laughs> now you're doing what's right because it's right, but it's like you're doing it on legalism. You don't love me. <laughs> you're bringing the tithe in to get out from under the curse, but you're saying the world's better off than you are. <laughs> I pay my tithes and the sinners are doing better. <laughs> what benefit is there to serve God? And then he goes on a little bit further and he says, but a book of remembrance, a book of remembrance is written for those who say the right thing and their hearts are right towards God and giving. <clears throat> what does that do? Keeps us in the blessing. <clears throat> See, money, there, there's no two ways with this thing. Money has you or you have it. Well, glory, let's go in. Generational sin. Do you, oh, my God, I got nine minutes. Generational sin and iniquity susceptibility. <clears throat> There are certain things we can see in our family history that can help us identify what problems may be affecting us today. This is a book that Cindy wrote. In the voice of God, Cindy Jacobs identifies four things that make us particularly susceptible to generational sin and iniquity. Number one, occult involvement in witchcraft. Anything that draws its power from a source other than God is demonic in nature and can produce problems in generations. Let me say this. Maybe you never went to a psychic. Maybe your parents did. Maybe a grandparent did. That familiar spirit by their, the portal of entry through that iniquity can come and visit other generations. You don't have to accept it, amen? But you may have to deal with it. Say good preaching, Pastor. Thank you, I needed to hear that. Actually, I don't. Number two, secret societies. This category includes, and this is going to step on some toes. I don't, I, I don't know anybody in here that's involved in Mason. But if you are, I'll be glad to talk to you about it because it's a dark society. 
doing a lot of good works in humanity. Not everything that glitters is gold, beloved. Let's look at them. This category includes Freemasonry, Eastern Star, and the Shriners. The Shriners are an offshoot of Masons. And when I see the advertisements, they're on TV all the time. Your heart goes out with compassion for the children. But you know what's absolutely insulting to me? Is that dark societies are helping humanity. And yet, Satan, when you get up and you read the back of this book about masonry, the 32nd degree mason, I think it is, is where they have to come into the agreement that Lucifer is the creator. Every graduation, every degree you go up, there's a little more darkness revealed. Well, may I? Dennis read this book, Dennis Novak, and we were just talking about the book, and he was talking about it. He, he got the book, and he, he read it. He actually read it. Hallelujah. But in the back part in the position, there were Masons in his bloodline generations before. And he realized that if this is true, he needed to renounce it and get that cut off in any way, shape, or form. And that's what you have to do. I want to say this. It's okay to, how many, you know, you want to do your family tree and all that other stuff? Start pleading the blood over your family tree. And ask God to reveal anything that's hidden. Ask him to reveal anything that's negative in your family tree. Because you can be that one. Hallelujah. Say, I can be the one to change generations. Hallelujah. Look at this. Thirdly, robbing God, robbing and defrauding God. If you withhold your tithe from God, the Bible says that you're actually robbing him, that a curse can come into your household as a result. It's the Bible. This curse often manifests itself as financial trouble, including poverty, and can be passed from generation to generation. Fourth, bondages. Bondages are often passed down through family lines. Dean Sherman defines bondages this way. If we continue in a habit of sin, we can develop a bondage. Bondage means that there is a supernatural element to our problem. The enemy now has a grip on a function of our personality. This morning as I was praying about our, our gathering time, I thought about that. I'm, 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 I also, I always, often, not always, but I often am drawn by the Holy Ghost to a praise, 1 Samuel 15, and that whole thing we taught about with Saul receiving the instruction of, of God through Samuel the prophet. Go destroy all the Amalekites. Kill every, kill, kill, say kill. Every man, woman, child, every animal. Nothing of the Amalekites is to live. Amen? Saul spares Agag, and he says, you know, he comes back. First of all, God speaks to Samuel and says, 
Saul has not obeyed my voice. Samuel's grieved. Saul comes back, and first of all, he erects a monument to himself, comes back. And the first thing he says to Samuel is, I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord. I've killed all the Amalekites. Who's that? Well, that's Agag. Didn't you say you obeyed the voice of the Lord? Come on, guys. See, God doesn't want 99% obedience out of you and I. He wants 100% obedience. He's a good, good father. But the thing that's still, the church is still in an identity, identity crisis. I've said it in times past, but the church is still in identity crisis. Who are we in Christ? The scripture says, you, if, if you're in Christ, you're no longer your own. Let me say it this way. You don't belong to you anymore. If God's your father, you and I belong to him. Oh, hallelujah. Anyway. <laughs> I'm glad I come here. <laughs> you can all leave. I'm going to come next week and preach to myself. Hallelujah. I don't mean that ugly. I would rather hear the heart of God and be in a place where truth is being. Now, you may even disagree that this is truth. Let all men be found a liar and God be true. There's a rebellion in your life. It's witchcraft. There's idolatry in your life. You're still exalting your way above God's. That's idolatry. Stubbornness. You're stubborn. You're stubborn in your position. You're stubborn in your mindset. I don't like these messages. I don't like hearing it. Are we hearing this again? That's stubbornness. That's idolatry. That's sin. Enjoy eating the fruit of it. Because the wage of sin is death. Hallelujah. I don't want stubbornness in my life, guys. And I don't want witchcraft in my life. I, I don't want rebellion in my life. I just don't. I want this based on this foundation, <laughs> based on this foundation, amen, to rule and reign in my life. And I need his light and I need his power to live this life, to walk the walk and talk the talk, to believe that what he says is true. For you to believe that your leaders are hearing from the Holy Ghost takes faith. And I've said this for years, and I still believe it with all my heart. 
Your personal trust in your leader is directly connected to the amount of time you pray for them. Very little prayer for your leaders, guess what? There's going to be distrust and suspicion in your heart. Until you become mature men and women of God and take your place on the wall, you're going to be one of those just looking on with a potential to be either critical, obstinate, Hallelujah. And I'm not saying to walk and follow leaders blindly. You judge them. Not critically. You judge them by the word of God. Amen. I want to follow somebody I can trust. Hallelujah. I'm not looking for a perfect leader, but I want to follow somebody I can trust. That's why we are connected to Faith Christian Fellowship for years. Pastor Buddy Harrison. I never heard any minister be as transparent as he was with his success successes and with his failures. Why? Why would he even expose himself and convey to the people in, in ministers' conferences, sharing the places where he fell to help them not fall the same way? I love transparency. Amen? Sometimes it'll bite you. You know, I don't give a rip. I'm used to teeth. I don't mind being bit. But I put special stuff on me so that it's like hot sauce. When you bite me, it's going to burn you. <laughs> Pastor, do you have anything? Is this helping anybody? <clears throat> Let's stand and we'll close.